You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come join our community or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. give respect to someone before we get started today. Where's Jim at? Jim Trebalewski, where's he at? That man is wearing a Chicago Bears shirt today. That's how you know someone's a true fan, right? Like, Super Bowl Sunday, we're not playing. We're far from playing. We're about as far from playing in this game as you could be. That's a true fan right there. Love it. Love it. So excited to continue our series today. Our series called Following has been looking at what it means to follow Jesus. And we've talked about raising the bar, but really all we're trying to do is establish the standard that Jesus has said for what it means to follow him in our life. And what we've seen is it's really this obsessive pursuit of all corners of our life. Uh, It it involves all of who we are, our, our minds to be transformed, to think the way that he thinks, to live the way that he lived, Uh, to treat others the way that he treated others. It's all of our lives. Last week, you remember, we talked about denying self, carrying our cross, losing our life so that we could live. The image was of Jesus alone at the mountaintop and stripping everything away, the Moses and the Elijah, everything else away so that it's just Jesus in our pursuit of him. I put out some challenges last week of maybe what it would look like to strip everything else away and just have Jesus the top. I was so encouraged this week to hear people texting me about and saying, man, this is hard, but this is good. And seeing ways that God was using some of those things uh, to strip everything away and just pursue Jesus and Jesus alone. And today is no different. We're going to look at something else very specific in the life of a follower of Jesus. We're going to build off that and look at the teaching of Jesus to see what it means to follow today in regards to prayer. What role does prayer play in the life of the follower? Here's the thing. Prayer is hard, right? I think it is. For a lot of reasons, prayer is difficult. There's, of course, the distractions that we feel and that we face as we get into our times of prayer. It's the moments where we may feel like we're talking to an empty room. God has not responded and maybe the way that we thought he would respond or the time that we thought he would respond. Maybe we feel like we run out of things to say. What should I even say? Should I even be asking for this? Should I even be talking about this? I've sort of brought this up a lot. Maybe we haven't seen him answer prayer, so we become doubtful or cynical about whether or not we should continue praying. A lot of it, I think, is we just are so busy with other things. We have like these set times to pray like before meals or at night, and it's kind of routine, habit. We're not even maybe thinking about what we're saying. Prayer is hard. Maybe it's something that we say that we're just going to do for someone. Someone opens up and says something to us. We're like, hey, we'll pray for you, and we never do. Or maybe we do, but it's just sort of quick and flippant. Maybe a big decision coming up, and you say, man, I really need to pray about it. Prayer is hard. And yet today what we're going to see is 
prayer is also deeply ingrained in what it means to follow. You cannot have a life of following Jesus and it not be marked by daily persistent prayer. If you have questions about prayer, if you struggle with prayer, if you wonder why your prayers are not heard or answered or it doesn't seem like it, if you doubt in your prayer, if you have distractions regularly, if you've turned it into a greeting or a figure of speech with other people, today's for you. Today's for me. Because today, Jesus' teaching is all about prayer and what it means for us to do it. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. There's so many good things in it. I encourage you, open it up. You got a Bible right in front of you, the pew in front of you, if, if you didn't physically bring one today, but I encourage you to look at it to, together with us today. So many good things in the text. I want to make sure you see it. Here we go. Verse 1, <coughs> Luke chapter 11. You guys ready to go? All right, let's have some fun with this. Let's start in verse 1 here. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Stop there. Again, we read about Jesus praying. Now, if you were reading through the book of Luke, this would be something that it was just a repeated theme. You're like, oh, here he goes doing that thing again like he normally does. The repetition that Luke brings up of Jesus praying is not by accident. It's very noticeable to the reader. Jesus prays a lot. And he's the son of God. Living flesh, in the flesh, perfection, and yet he finds purpose and reason to pray. I think from the start of the passage, it's just good just like for that to nudge our hearts a little bit and be like, man, like this should be really important to us too. We should at least be intrigued. Man, what does Jesus feel like he gains from prayer as being (coughs) God in flesh? And so his disciples bring it up and they want to learn from him. Now, it's not uncommon for a disciple of of any rabbi to want to learn all sorts of things about how they do religious life. We've talked about this a little bit in the series, but they would be obsessed with all areas of their rabbi's life. And they would follow them around and watch them and memorize. How do you interpret the law here? How do you practice the law here? Even down to daily family routines and family life, rabbis would be watching and learning. So here they are like, man, Jesus, you pray a lot. Can you teach us? Show us what it means to pray. They're picking up that he does it often. And hey, maybe we should do that too. They know that Jesus has something in his prayer life that they don't have. They know John the Baptist. They reference John the Baptist. They're like, hey, even he's passing on to his disciples about how to do this. Give us some instruction. So you probably know the next words. If you read the heading, you might already feel like you got this down. The Lord's Prayer. Here we go. We know it. Probably a lot of you have memorized it, right? Before we get into it, let me just say this. The next dialogue is Jesus. You know it. I know you know it. The Lord's Prayer. I know you know it. This is Jesus teaching us what it means to communicate with the sovereign, eternal, all-powerful God. This is Jesus 
telling us, teaching us. You have struggles, right? We acknowledge that prayer is really difficult, right? What might Jesus tell us that we could glean and learn from that would help us in our prayer life? We're going to settle in this passage and we're going to dig in. And what we're going to see is a lot of those things that we laid out before that our struggles were difficult, Jesus addresses within this. Let's look at it here together. Everything that you know about it, great. Bring all of that in, but don't check out because there's so many good things to see here. Starting in verse two, he says this. (coughs) He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I want to stop there. He starts by saying, when you pray, say this. Here's the suggestion. The suggestion is to say these actual, physical, literal words, to actually repeat them. For the disciples, they would have memorized it. For many of us, we've probably memorized it as well. It would have been a starting point, something to build off of. You say one line and you reflect and meditate and think on that and branch off within it. If you feel stuck in what to pray, I have really good news. Jesus gave us a script. Now, I say that. I say script, and that might be a disconnect, or it might feel awkward. It might not feel original. It might not feel like your heart is able to express something. Here's the thing. This script is not boring or cliche or lacking originality. The script is actually the railroad tracks that Jesus has given us to guide us towards the heart and the meaning and the purpose of prayer. So as we go through this, it's Jesus, just a one-way track right to the heart of prayer and right what is supposed to be resounding in our souls as we pray to God. As we see what Jesus prayed, it guides us towards mature and meaningful prayer, just like our master Jesus did. Truth serum. I don't often pray this prayer until this week. I saw it as a good idea and some good principles or thoughts. It has, I'm only a week in, it's changed so much of how I pray. It's a railroad track right to the heart and the meaning of prayer. I'm so excited about it. Look at how he starts. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. First, starting with the word Father. We get to call him Father because he's made a way for us to be reconciled to him, made his sons and daughters. From the first word comes this, belonging, love, closeness, and gratitude that we could even call him Father. Remember how I said in the beginning that sometimes prayer can feel like a disconnect or can feel cold. Well, nothing breaks that down quite like this word father in context of a relationship standard that God sets for the word father to say, no, you're welcome here. We are going to have this closeness and we're going to talk. And I realize as I say that, for many in this room, the word father is not going to represent that. 
For some, that word would represent pain and hardship. And so I realize that there's a disconnect. And so just what I want to say here in that place is God as our Father will never change, never abandon or disappoint or hurt. This Father is perfect, and this Father is love, and this Father calls you daughter, and this Father calls you son. It's the safest place and the safest conversation. Father, hallowed be your name. We don't use that word very much. Holy is your name. It's good for us in our prayer to see God for who he is and to praise him for that. So what would it do to our hearts to think about his holiness? We could study holiness for the next 15 weeks, scratch the surface of it, and, and, and have a ton of fun in, in a series just focused on the holiness of God. There's so much to say about that. But if you were to boil it down, holiness means set apart, other, holy, perfect. He's not like us. He's nothing like us. He's holy and set apart and perfect. And here's the thing. One of my favorite things about dwelling and thinking about God's holiness is it means that you can trust him because he's perfect. He won't wrong you in his sovereignty. He will not sin against you in his goodness and in his holiness. (coughs) He's perfectly just. He has no sin. He executes every action with sovereignty and truth and with love. This is the holiness. So here's the thing. To call him holy does two things. The first thing is that it aligns our heart to praise him for who he is and to worship him. Everything that is due him. And we, like, listen, let's camp out in that for a while when we pray. Let's just spend some time praising him for his holiness and other attributes and just worshiping him and be like, man, you're so other. You're not me. Thank God you're not like me. And worshiping him for who he is and how good that is for us just to dwell on his character and praise him and to actually spend time dwelling about, well, what does it mean that he's holy? And what does it mean that he's full of love? And what does it mean that he's sovereign? What does it mean that he's eternal? Just keep pouring that on him. It does that without a doubt in your prayer life. But there's a second thing that it does to dwell on God's holiness. It reminds our heart that we're talking to the one that we can trust with all things. So as you struggle to pray about things, as you struggle to bring up the hard things or go to the hard places or talk about the deepest pains, you remember you're talking to the one you can trust with all things because he will not wrong you as you trust him with all of that. He's holy. He cannot and will not sin against you. And he's father, lovingly welcoming you into his presence. Those two things Father, hallowed be your name. And it says, your kingdom come. What we get from this is a longing for the kingdom of God. Certainly one day when we're done here with this earth and longing to be in his presence, I think about Romans 8. How many times do I reference Romans 8, by the way? Too often. Not too often. It's such a good chapter. 
longing with the pains of childbirth, longing for the redemption, longing for the kingdom. Certainly there is that, but also praying for God's kingdom to come would be to ask God to establish his kingdom things here on earth. Spending time to pray against evil and darkness that we see and feel often around us. Think about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And everything that Jesus talks about with the kingdom and what it means to live for the kingdom and looking for those things, you're praying for God to establish those things here on earth. It's like as I walk on earth, I'm longing so desperately for the garden city one day to be in his presence where we're free from all of this. It's good for us to dwell on that and long for that and talk to our father about that, but it's also good for us to long to see heaven here on earth while we are here. This is what Jesus was doing as he walked the earth, right? Performing the miracles shows his authority, certainly. You know what else it does? It shows a sliver of the kingdom, right? Because there's no sickness in heaven. And he's establishing that as he goes through his day. Even, even gathering here today, it's a picture of the kingdom as we come together and worship our king. And guess what? We're just going to do this for eternity. Your kingdom come. May we see it in our life. And we go to God and we ask him. Deliver us to that place one day in eternity. But God, we ask you to establish it here and now. I think this is one of our biggest disconnects with prayer because what our tendency so often is to pray for our kingdom. Oh God, let me get that promotion. Oh God, my grades, that scholarship. Oh God, help my name, my success. My well-being. Now, here's the thing. We could work out a whole theology of prayer, and we would see that God cares that we bring those things to him, right? Right? He cares that we bring those things to him. But don't miss the heart in the railroad tracks is first and foremost. We're all about his kingdom. And we're praying for that. Jim, setting a great example up here, praying for God's will to be done. In all things, we're looking for his kingdom and that he would establish that and praying those things first, that that would shape our prayer life. When you pray for God's kingdom, God does something to your heart in showing you what the kingdom looks like here and now in this place that we look. You start to look for it and participate in it and live and lead in love towards that. It's hard to spend time in your prayer time and be like, God, your kingdom come, and then go to work and just treat people however you want to treat them. Right? It's hard to say, God, your kingdom come, and then just participate in whatever entertainment that we want to participate in that represents whatever evil or unrighteousness in the world. It's like, no, no, no. Your kingdom come starts to change how we view each day that we live that we would be participating towards that. So we pray, God, your kingdom come, be established at my job, in my family, in my city, in our neighborhood, in our church, in our city, in our country, in our lifetime. God, would you bring it about? Another tendency that I see is far too often, maybe we just think about praying for God to establish our country as if our country is the promised kingdom. 
I'm all for praying for the authorities in our country. Scripture lays that out. Don't hear me saying not to pray for those things. We should. But if it's about the establishment and wealth and just of our nation, and and it's not first priority of praying about God's kingdom, whatever that may mean for this nation, then we've switched it. And we've missed the heart of God to say, God, your kingdom come. To, 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 to embrace the mindset, man, I'm just an exile on this earth. Man, I'm just a sojourner in this world looking and waiting for God's kingdom. Where one day I will be home, but I won't be home a minute sooner than that. Pray for God's kingdom to come, that you would long for the heavenly kingdom and not make this world your home. So that's how the prayer starts. Really cultivates in our heart, thinking about who God is, thinking about what God is about, how it might look like to live that here. But then what Jesus shows his disciples is three specific things to ask for. Does God want you to ask for stuff in your prayer? Yes or no? Yeah, he does. Like emphatically, yes, he does. Because the prayer moves into three things that he asked for. Number one, give us each day our bread. Number two, forgive us of our sins. Number three, lead us not into temptation. These are three asks. These are three petitions that he brings. And and it should tell us something about what we pray for. Let's look at each one of these. It says, give us each day our daily bread. This is about provision about a deep trust that we have in God, a deep dependency that we have in God to provide in all areas of our life. It might feel like a little bit of a disconnect to talk about it with bread. Like, man, I'll I'll hit up Aldi and I'll have like 100 different choices of what kind of bread I want to eat. I will go to Costco and I will have enough bread to feed my street. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just, an ab- we feel this abundance, but maybe think about it like this. Egg prices are going up, my friends, right? It's like a delicacy right now. Inflation, living paycheck to paycheck. So many of the unknowns about job or finances or whatever it might be. Because for back for them, for bread, it was like a daily thing. They would make their bread, and that was, that was for this week or this day. And it was, it was a daily provision thing of like where it comes from. But then also think about this, their crops, they're not hopping on their news source and being like, you know, how are the crops doing this year? They're not worried about droughts. If crops go bad here, like we import and we ship it from all over the world, Right? We don't really have to feel this in the same way. But a drought for them, man, that's trouble. Oh, God, we depend on you to provide because we don't know. We actually don't know. What would it look like for us? Maybe not about bread, but certainly God's provision in our family, in our life, in our finances. How might that lead us? to trust him and depend on him more? How might that lead us to be more generous with other people as we know that he's providing? It makes me think back of the Israelites with manna, right? They're in the wilderness. I was like, man, I hope it comes tomorrow. And it did. 
time and time again provision. We could go around the room telling stories of God's provision. But one of the ways that Jesus teaches us to pray is that we would go. Yeah, but Mark, I have so much money. I don't need to worry about it. No, no, no. What what would it look like to pray for provision? God, give us. God, I depend on you. Mark, I'm pretty content about this. Yeah, pray for provision. Go to God. It pushes us to depend deeply on him. That's good for our hearts. But then look at the next petition. Look at the next request that it says. It says, forgive us of our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who indebted us. Confession should be part of the regular rotation of prayer in our lives. I'm not looking for audible answers in this, but when was the last time you sat in the presence of God and truly prayed and confessed through your heart? I'm talking like Psalm 51, search my heart. Let me know if there's any grievous way in me. I'm talking about like a prayer that's mindful of Jeremiah 17. It says, man, the heart is deceitful above all things. May I not trust in what my heart is telling me and thinking that I'm doing just okay. I'm saying prayer confession that moves beyond maybe the one or two prayers that you know you sort of wrestle with day in and day out and really pushing beyond that and going, God, search my heart. Let me know where I'm off in this. I I just want you to imagine with me for a second. Can you imagine what the body of Christ would look like if we were regularly repenting? If we were regularly mindful of our sin, because here's the thing, our sin has a tendency of impacting who? Everyone around us, right? Imagine the humility that would just seep up if every day we walked in knowing I'm pretty messed up and I need God. Imagine the fear of God that would come from us if every day we were spending time, God, confession, and just really letting them search our heart. Imagine the gospel grace culture that we would experience here. Because I could open up to Kristen about what's going on in my heart, and she wouldn't be all judgy with me because she'd be like, man, I was just confessing this morning. I got stuff too. And we could walk in this community, John, 1 John 1, walking in the light, knowing Man, we all are in desperate need of God to do this work in our life. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he puts this as one of the requests, one of the things that you should go to, forgiveness. So think about this. I I don't know many people that like dwelling on their sin and talking to God about it, but think about the gift that this is, that we get to go to God the one, our father that we can trust, who's good and perfect and holy, the father who loves us and bring our sin to him and be forgiven. Man, don't miss the redeeming gospel in this. We get to walk in forgiveness, but not just that. We don't get to just walk in forgiveness with the father. We get to walk in forgiveness with each other. Because that's the second half of it here. It says, and forgive us of our sins as we also ourselves forgive everyone else. Let's talk about forgiveness with each other for a second. Forgiveness is an accounting term. Someone, Someone would take a loan from someone, which leads to a debt. And they have a debt with that person. And if that person could not pay that debt, that person who gave them the loan could choose this word to forgive them, which means 
to release the person of the debt that they owe you, release the person of the thing that they could never pay, which means you no longer go looking for that money with that person, which, no longer, which means you no longer show up at their door and say, hey, you owe me money, which means you no longer spread their name through other people saying, hey, they owe me a big debt. You no longer expect payment from them. So here's the beauty in our prayer. In prayer, we can receive from God a release of our debts that we have no ability to pay for ourselves in our sin, right? Right? We cannot pay that debt. He forgives. He releases that debt. And then that plays into our relationship with each other where we also are able to release each other of the debt from each other. In community, that happens all the time. We wrong each other. In a sinful world, you will be sinned against. In the church, you will be sinned against. In some of these wounds, they're debts that the other person could never pay for. They're huge. They're massive debt that someone took out against you. The, the debts that that person cannot pay off and will not pay off. And the gospel says you can release that person of that debt. It's not dependent on if that person sees their debt or even apologizes for their debt. It's dependent on you and what you've received and your ability to release them of that. If you have someone in your life that you're still aware, you, may, you just hold on to that. Their name comes up and you're like, ugh. If there is a chance that you had to sort of punish them or, or use something against them, you probably would. If you're in a conversation with other people and their name comes up, you might want to make sure everyone else knows what you think about that other person, the debt and the hurt that they brought to your life. There's conversations going on and, 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 and you take joy or responsibility in, in, in trying to grow that debt with other people and gossip and use that against that person in conversations. You're holding on to a debt that Jesus say, man, pray about that because you should be releasing that. You should be letting go with that. I think sometimes we can say that we, oh yeah, I've forgiven that person, but you still got that total of their debt right here up in your head. And you're just waiting to use it against it. It's like, have we really? Do we still talk about it? Do we still feel the bitterness? Do we still gossip and share it knowing that it will harm their reputation with others? Do we bury it deep in our hearts and let envy and jealousy and rage and payback sit in the depths of our heart? Church, what would this place be if we decided to cancel the debts? I don't say that flippantly. I've had debt. It's taken me a long time to release of. I'm not just saying just to flippantly do it. But I know deep wounds, and I know God helps release that. Here's the thing. If it was easy, I don't think Jesus would be saying to bring it to him in prayer. That's the thing. Does it seem impossible? How could I ever? How could I ever? How could I ever? Go to the Father and ask him and see what he might do in your heart to release that debt. We have to do this. Sometimes there's fear of like, man, but I just could never trust them again. 
Forgiveness and reconciliation and future trust are not the same thing. Because you might forgive of the debt, but choose not to give another loan because you learned. And, and, and I understand that that happens in certain situations. But the release of the debt and not holding on to that, that, that is not a good idea. Merely. It is the standard of the followers of Jesus. It's impossible to do without him. You will do it with him. And see what that leads to. But it's so contrary to what we want to do. I know. But you feel in there, it feels good. It feels, it feels sometimes like the closest you could get to justice. Or vindication. You play the storyline over and over in your head and all the reasons why you're right and that person is wrong. Here's the thing. That's God's to deal with. And as you release it, you're, it's not just some like poof magic trick. It's, it's, it's letting God say, man, that's sin. That, that's your debt, God, to deal with. And, and I don't have to hold on to that. The follower of Jesus takes these things to God and allows him to do the miraculous work and our hearts to let us release debts. Third request that says, lead us not into temptation. <clears throat> it's not saying that God is plotting ways and tempting you to sin. Scripture teaches us otherwise, but what is this saying? This is a cry to God, aware of the seriousness of sin and what it does and destroys our lives and the lives of people around us saying, God, don't let me go there. Don't let me fall into temptation. You could read this. Don't let me yield to sin. Don't let me, don't let me yield to it. Don't let me give it anything. Um, sin is attractive. Did you guys know that? And it's enjoyable initially. Our heart is deceitful above all things. Our heart wants to go to sin. Our heart wants to protect sin. Our heart wants to indulge in these things. And what Jesus is saying, you know what you should pray? You should pray regularly that you don't go there. Because you actually need his help to do that. Because left to our own, we see the attractiveness of it and we want to go towards it. Jesus models the importance of asking God for help to stay strong. Because you can't do it on your own. There's a prof I had in seminary that would talk about this. And he's like, you at any point are capable of doing any sin at any time. You're like, you know, a bunch of seminary students. You're right, 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 right. They're like, no, you are capable. And it's true. May we not fall into temptation, but not anything about my strength. But by the strength of God, who I know is with me, and I need his help. There are times that <coughs> my sin might feel safe or enjoyable or natural. I need to pray in those moments that God changes my desires. There might be times in my heart that I justify it, or it seems so small or insignificant, or no one really knows about that. Or man, man, like I might struggle with, with pride in some ways, but man, do you see all these people? Like they're so much worse than me. So really in comparison, it's like, no. 
Lead us not into temptation. Can you imagine the prayers being prayed every day? Can you imagine if the people of God just consume themselves with this prayer day in and day out? How might that change the way we view God? How might it change the way that we view our day? How might it change the way that we view our world? How might it change the way that we view each other and interact with each other? How might it change just the way that we live? That's the Lord's prayer. There's a lot in that, right? But his teaching goes further. He gives us the railroad tracks of these are the things that we should pray for. I'm encouraging you to do that day in and day out this week, and we're going to get to that at the end. But then he gives us these verses more of, 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 of why and how. Why and how. Look at verse 5. I love this. I'm obsessed with these five verses. Check this out. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened to him. I love this. Jesus gives the story of a friend, a guy who's in bed. He's already in bed with his kids. Reading a little bit about this, they would all share one mat. They're in a small room. Someone knocks on the door at midnight, okay? How alarming, right? And awkward a little bit, right? And you're in your bed, you're like, dude, go away. If I get up out of my bed, I'm going to wake up my whole family because they're all right here. You know, yeah, but someone arrived late on a journey and we need bread. He's like, come back tomorrow. Let me sleep. She says, in that moment, probably not getting up, even if it's a close friend. I was thinking about this. Even if I'm a close friend, like I'm thinking, like I'm not showing up to Jeff's house at midnight knocking on his door. So awkward. Like, what are we doing here, man? Jesus says in that moment, he might not get up for a close friend, right? <clears throat> but if the person keeps knocking, impudence. Because of his impudence, he might. Impudence. Impudence is the person's boldness to do such a thing. It's his persistence. It's, 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 it's his shameless persistence. That he would do this, that he would come at this time, that he would persist and be like, no, I need some bread. And you're like, man, I'm sleeping. I need some bread. I'm sleeping. At least I was. No, that might get him out of bed. You know what might get him up out of bed? is his shameless persistence. And Jesus says, right, exactly. And that's our prayer life. Ask, seek, knock. 
in a way that is so persistent that it's shameless persistence, shameless boldness that you would go to God and you would just be back. Hey, it's me again. I need your help. Let me not fall into temptation. It's me again. Shameless persistence. Imagine standing at that door and being like, man, do I really want to ask at this? And it's like Jesus saying, yes, ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. Be impudent. Be shamelessly bold, shamelessly persistent. Man, we stop knocking, don't we? We just give in to temptation. We're like, oh, man, maybe it's too hard for God this time. We stop asking. We we don't maybe even think that he's going to answer the door, maybe even like he's on the other side of the door. So we stop, and we stop praying. We stop believing. We stop receiving. It says here, pray as a persistent friend, shamelessly asking with boldness. He gives one more example of how we should pray. Look at verse 11. It says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What he's saying here is pray as a loved child, which I love this because how does the Lord's Prayer start? Father. He's saying liken it to a child. Man, we know as parents how to give our kids things that they like. I remember I was sitting next to Randy in a meeting years ago, and he gets a text from, uh, from one of his kids. Hey, Dad, can you bring shakes home tonight? He showed me the text. He's like, Autumn texted me. She's going to get shakes tonight. He's like, yeah, for the joy of me. Yes, I will give. And here she's like, if, if fathers know how to give Good things to their kids. And we all have sin in our lives. And, 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 you know, we're limited with what we could. How much more could God do that for us? View yourself as a child like that, receiving from him the eternal things that God can do. So who does he give the gifts to? He gives it to those who ask him. Look at it there. It says that. Those who ask him, the end of verse 13, just look at that. Those who ask him, that's who he gives it to. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to ask. So we hear this and and, and we get uncomfortable. If all I were to preach on today is that passage, ask, seek, and knock. And man, you could go prosperity gospel pretty quick with that, right? It's pretty uncomfortable. It's like, man, I don't know. Keep it in context of what Jesus just said. What are we asking about? Deep dependency on him. Oh, God, forgive me. Don't let me walk into temptation. Those are the things he says. Man, keep asking about those things. Shamelessly just keep going. Keep asking. Keep praying about these things. He says he'll listen to us. Proclaim his holiness. Pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for provision. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for victory over sin. And when we do, he will answer those bold requests. Some of the disconnect for me, I think, in my prayer life 
is I know all those other things that God wants to hear those petitions. He wants us to bring all those things to him. But, 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 but how do I say this? Um, if it's a pie chart, there's a lot of those things that I'm bringing to him. And percentage-wise, maybe it's less of these things that consume my prayer life. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, this changes everything. My prayer life, to, to regularly be seeing God work in these ways, it's massive things to pray about regularly and bring to him and see what he does in it. I just want one more small thing from verse 13. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give what? The Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we turn it into all these things that we want to see God give us. But the greatest thing that we could get is help from the Holy Spirit day in and day out. You know what the Holy Spirit's really good at? Leading us and convicting us in righteousness and leading us in righteousness. All these things that you would see up here in the Lord's Prayer that we're just desperately calling out to God. That we say, man, we need this. This This is what Jesus says it means to pray. This is the prayer of a follower. It's hard. But thankfully, (coughs) Jesus has some encouragement of how to do it, right? Right? Some really good practical ways to do it. He's got the script there. So here's some ways that I'm thinking about applying it. Some encouragements that I have for you to apply it as we go from here. Here's one challenge this week. Try every morning and every evening to start and to end your day with the Lord's Prayer. Now, last week, remember, I challenged you, try to not look at your phone first thing in the morning. So this one could just build on top of it. Week two of that. Try that. See how it goes. First thing in the morning, Lord's Prayer. Take your time with it. Let your heart sit with each clause and let him help you in the midst of that. Go slow enough for your mind to embrace. Listen, I know we could speed through it. I know most of us have it memorized. You could probably get through it really quick. Don't race it. Try to memorize it. Store it in your heart. Maybe even outside of those two times, morning and evening, you could try to just think how many times during your day could you recite it during your day? You're in uh, the Target checkout line. And you haven't checked Instagram in four minutes and you think, man, I need to check that again, right? Maybe instead of pulling out your phone in that moment, you're in the Target checkout line. You're just like, our father. Start there. Try that. Just see how many ways you can bring it into your day and see how that might transform your life in that. Second thing, just encouraging you, prayer journal, jump into it. Spend time each day, one day or every day this week, just one thing from the Lord's prayer. Today it's Father. Tomorrow it's hallowed be your name. Next day, your kingdom come. Give us this day. Just every day. And just write out what comes to mind. There's no rules. You don't got to write like four pages. If it's four sentences, awesome. How might have God used that in your life? That's great. Uh, Third thing. um, I just encourage us as a church. We talk a lot about being a church that prays. We all have different ideas of what that means, but I look at a couple people in our church that I think are prayer warriors and they get the prayer thing to an extent that I'm just not there yet. I look at them and they say, we're not a praying church. 
So my challenge to us is what might it look like for us as a body to lean into that, starting with the Lord's Prayer. See how we do that. So let's pray now. God, our Father, holy is your name. We trust you. We worship you in your otherness and your holiness. Oh, God, we pray for your kingdom to come. It's messed up here, God. We ask that you would establish your kingdom here in and through your body, the church. God, would you use us as Bethel to be about your kingdom here at 7601? God, we look to you to give us our daily bread. May we not look to provide for ourselves, earn for ourselves, be successful for ourselves. May it not be about our name, God, but your name that we deeply lean in each and every day. God, we ask for for your forgiveness. God, search our hearts as individuals of this church that we might glorify you. God, we ask for your help to forgive each other, whether it's someone outside of this room or whether it's someone in this room. God, we can't do it alone. We, we, We see the debt. We feel the debt. It feels ridiculous to let go of that debt because it's so large. God, we look to you to do it. Would you help us to do that? God, we ask persistently and we seek and we knock for these things. God, lead us not into temptation. May we not yield to it. The things that we know could trip us up today or tomorrow or this week, may we not yield to it. God, may we take more and in following you and listening to you and obeying you than we would ever trying to satisfy ourselves with the, with, with, with the appearance of what sin would bring to us. God, we ask, we seek, we knock persistently for your glory, for your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand him.